6 to 7 p.m. Sport on with Tabiso Musia. This is a flashback Friday and uh, tonight on the show uh, we are going to be in conversation with a former referee. We have intentionally uh, been remembering and celebrating hosting the 2010 FIFA World Cup held here on these shores uh, 10 years ago and uh, in the first two Fridays of June you will remember that we spoke to Matthew Booth who was a, a member of the Bafana Bafana squad in 2010 didn't play because he was competing uh, with the captain Aaron Mukwena and uh, we last week then we heard from Bongani Kumalo who had a stellar World Cup actually Bongani Kumalo if you really think about it he was solid in both games and uh, scored in the third game against uh, France so uh, this evening then we will hear from a South African that was a whistleman in 2010, a referee. He might have put down the whistle now, but is still involved in the beautiful game of football. Our guest is also a former school teacher and made a quiet exit with no farewell after teaching at the same school for 17 years. So there will be a lot to talk about with our guest, Mr. Jerome Damon, who will be our guest for the next hour. We're going to talk refereeing. We're going to talk VAR. How did he get started? What does he make of the standard of refereeing? What does he make of the young refs that are coming through professionalism? of the profession and much more so let's find out more about the man behind the whistle that is mr jerome demon uh, we're gonna move on though because we've got a guest on the line it is flashback friday we are reflecting we're looking back and uh, we have been doing so uh, because of the 2010 fifa world cup in this month of june we've spoken to players but now we want to to speak to somebody else who was on the field not as a player but was involved in the 2010 fifa world cup and mr jerome damon is up next <laughs> Zanzi's Sporting Milestones, Moments and Stories. Flashback Fridays with Tabiso Musia. Let me remind you that the Adria Tour this weekend, your living room will be occupied by your heroes of the tennis game. Again, Djokovic, TM, Zverev, Dimitrov and Cilic. Every time they meet, the clay court will hold their greatness. World-class tennis moves to Zadar off the Croatian coast and SABC Sport will bring you the best of top flight tennis. So don't miss out on this nail-biting action this Saturday and Sunday live on SABC 3 from 2 p.m. Tabiso Musia on SAFM. And let's welcome our guest on the line without wasting any further time, a former referee, former FIFA referee, by the way, former educator, hashtag on Twitter, views are my own. Mr. Jerome Damon joins us on the line now just to look back and reflect on his career and his journey. Jenny, good evening, sir. Thank you very much for finding the time to speak to us tonight on SAFM. Good evening, Tabiso. It's good to be on SAFM tonight. Thank you. Can you believe, firstly, that it's 10 years since the 2010 FIFA World Cup? What kind of memories do you have? If I have to believe and remember that it's 10 years ago, I feel, then you're going to make me feel 10 years older. So, no, I don't believe it's 10 years ago. But anyway, <laughs> ah, what a memory. What a fantastic memory. Uh, something that obviously will live with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. And before we go any further, we wanted clarity. Is it Damon <laughs> or Damon? Man, some say potatoes, some say potatoes. <laughs> so I'm comfortable with either. You decide. You're a good man, Mr. Jerome Damon. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you are now working as a VAR instructor before we go any further. How have your plans or commitments been affected by COVID-19? Because I remember you once told the story. I was watching your video of you and Odo Karelse on YouTube and you were saying you were one of the first people to go into self-isolation. 
Yes, so it's been a long while, and fortunately, I'm, I'm, I can go out and about now. Um, it hasn't obviously it's impacted football, but it hasn't impacted on football activity. We've been very busy, um, you know, doing lots of referee education and lots of training um, online. Um, I know there's one part of my body who is not very happy with me at the moment <laughs> because of all the meetings that one has to be in, um, whether it be uh, you know on the various social me- on the various um, media platforms. So um, it's been really, it's been challenging. Um, my heart really goes out to, and if, you know, to, um, to to people who've lost loved ones during this time. Um, it's been really tough for everybody, um, and I've been very fortunate, very blessed that um, you know we've been we've been we've been relatively okay. Um, but of, of course, we, we we can never never um, forget about those people who have lost and lost uh, a lot during this time. So, yeah, let's just for a moment, just for a moment, while, whilst we are thinking about 2010, just for a moment, think about all those people who are not so, so fortunate as we are at the moment. Yes, and for those not aware, Mr. Damon, what, what does your role exactly entail as a VAR instructor? Well, with, with the advent of VAR, um, we, we had to... Um, with the advent of VAR in FIFA and FIFA competition, FIFA and the IFAB have made it very clear that they are going to be around and going to be here to stay. Um, lots of federations and obviously confederations, um, by extension, have been interested in VAR. And obviously, so they needed to set up VAR persons and structures in every confederation um, belonging to FIFA. And so um, I've been roped in by, by CAF uh, as one of uh, a few uh, of the initial instructors with VAR um, to train referees to to sort of you know work with VAR in a match, and then there's another part that 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 trains um, that deals with the media side of things, etc. So um, yeah, I'm part of a team that 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 serves CAF in in this capacity. You've always said that it's not VAR who makes the decision, but it's the referee. Can Absolutely. you expand on this? Sorry, I'm saying, can yeah. you just expand on this? With VAR, and this is what people need to understand. Now, unfortunately, there are some federations around the world um, and popular federations that we often look at here in South Africa who have not been doing justice to the way VAR is meant to be. Um, and so I'm going to leave you to do the maths. But mm-hmm. what, what happens is with VAR, the referee takes his first decision. So, for example, he sees something happening in the penalty area. He says, for me... No, 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 not much contact. Uh, for me, no penalty and play continues. So he's busy communicating to the VAR. At that very moment, the VAR is checking the images that is available to him that comes through the system. Um, and they have every single angle available on, on, on match day that's available to, to, to the networks. Every single camera goes through the system. So they have all the angles available. They see, they see and they match up what the referee has said to um, to to what they're seeing in the pictures, and if there's a if there's a discrepancy between the two, they will then say, "Hey, ref, we suggest you stop the game. Um, what you have described to us is not what we are seeing in the images. We're recommending an on-field review. The referee will then go and have a, have a look at his own decision, and they present the images to him. He then takes his decision and then he communicates and says, "My friend." Thank you for picking this up. I agree with you. Um, that is actually a penalty. I'm going to award a penalty. And that's how VAR works 
simply put. What do you say to those who say, but then the referee's decision is influenced by what he's seeing on VAR on the monitor? My response is, do you want to see the wrong team win the league, or do you want your team to win the league? Okay. You can't have your cake and eat it. Short and sweet. Let's let's just talk before we get back into your career about what happened in the first game back in the Premier League this week. I did see your tweet about it, that Sheffield United goal that crossed the line, but it was not awarded. And Hawkeye released a statement saying that it was an occlusion. I didn't even know there was a word like that. Basically, all cameras were blocked. What do we take out of this and what do we learn from this now, Mr. Demon? And what's your view of what happened? VAR protocol, and I'm sure it's in the it's in the goal line technology protocol as well. That the the game does not stop, and the result is not altered as a result of a technical failure. And this is some uh, uh, an electronic failure or a technical failure because it's out of out of people's control. You know, you have a power failure at a crucial minute or a power surge at a crucial moment. The moment is lost forever. You cannot hold technology accountable. And when and when uh, the IFAB and FIFA and everybody involved spoke about their address. It, it is not to eliminate all the errors, but it's to eliminate the most obvious ones. So what happened in this match, um, there was the ball had crossed the line. The whole of, for a goal to be scored, the whole of the ball needed to have crossed the line, which for all intents and purposes in the limited angles that were given to us on television looked like that was indeed a fact. But with Golan technology, it's connected to the watchers on the referee's arms. And it would send a pulse or a signal to indicate goal, goal, goal. And you would have seen Michael Oliver indicate that his watch indicated no goal. Mm. But what should have happened? Because this is in the VAR protocol. Because remember, in this game, you have G- uh, GLT, Golan technology and VAR in the same match. So what should have happened, and it's covered in the protocol, VAR needed to check a goal-no-goal situation. So they would then check goal-no-goal. They would have concluded that the whole of the ball had crossed the line. So immediately, because it's factual, they don't need the referee to come and verify and say that this is indeed a goal. But what they needed to do was then also go and check what is called the APP, the attacking possession phase. In other words, the last moments before the ball had crossed the line to see if there was any foul that would have cancelled a goal. Because the law says that you can only award a goal if in the build-up there was no foul. Um, and then once they made that conclusion, they would have been told the referee, either the ball had gone out or had gone into a neutral zone towards halfway line, uh, as the ball did, they would have shouted at Michael Oliver, stop the game, stop the game. Michael would have stopped the game, and he would have said, we, uh, they would have, the VAR would have reported to him, we have conclusively seen on television, uh, on our screens rather, that, this, the, that the whole of the ball had crossed the line. Michael would have responded and said, but my watch didn't. And because there was a discrepancy between the two, the VAR would have then simply said, I recommend, or should have simply said, I recommend an on-field review, come and view the footage for the referee to make the final decision. And this is the principle of VAR. Referee makes the first decision, referee makes the last decision. And with the watch not going off, just the last Mm. one on this, did he have the right then to make the call if he had seen that the ball had crossed the line? Yes, yes. I remember in the early stages of Golan technology, it was in Peru in 2000. Oh, is going to beat me over the head because we were involved in this incident. It was in Peru in 2005, I think, yes. Peru mm. 2005 it was the under-17 competition. FIFA were just starting to experiment with Golan technology. 
I had one of those watches, not as advanced as it is today, mm. all four of us. I can't remember the two teams that played, but Enoch Malifia was my assistant referee, where the ball looked like it may have crossed the line. I looked, I looked at Enoch, Enoch looked at me, my, my watch was saying, go, 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 but when I looked at it, this ball definitely looked like it didn't, that didn't cross the line completely. Safe to say we had to, I, Enoch then also communicated in my, in my earpiece, no goal, no goal, no goal, and I concurred with him. Um, and we then had to write a long report on our experience and why we went against the watchers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's now in law that the final decision lies with the referee. Remember, a tool like VAR, a tool like GoLine Technology, communicates, and, the, and a tool and, and the tool that the, fla- that, that the referees use, uh, the assistant referees use with the buzzer flags. These are all tools to get to a decision. The law in football only allows the referee to make the final decision. So the referee has to decide whether he accepts the information given by by the by the watch by the technology. Okay, enough of that, Mr. Damon. Let's talk yes. about you now, about your journey, about your career. Let's trace it back from Bridgetown. Firstly, how was it growing up in Bridgetown, and how did you, how would you say it shaped you to be the person that you've become? I think Bridgetown, the community, has shaped me to be the person that I am today. I, I have my roots in Bridgetown. I grew up in Bridgetown. Mm. Um, I used to play in the road in Bridgetown, um, and I used to play on the field just down the road from, from me with my friends. And I uh, eventually ended up teaching at Bridgetown High, and they are my family to this very day. They are my family. Um, and um, I... I I, you know, I, I was an educator for a very long time at Bridgetown High. I think I became permanent in 2003, um, 2002, 2003. But I was also I did my practice teaching at Bridgetown High. So everything Bridgetown um, is uh, is in you know in my blood. Um, and so, but the one thing about Bridgetown, uh, I never played football. So that's the one thing Bridgetown cannot claim to have given me. Um, I never played football in my life. Never kicked the ball in anger. Um, maybe I would have played in the road from time to time, but it was hopeless. So I was always ended up being the, the ball boy or the scorekeeper or whatever. <laughs> the referee. So where did the love for the whistle come from then? My father, my late dad, he was a football coach. Now, he played football competitively. He was then a football coach for some of the representative teams in the province. He was also a referee um, in the then Federation League, uh, Professional League. Mm. Um, and many in, 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 um, in Gauteng and Durban will remember um, him refereeing from time to time. Um, I won't say that my dad was a top referee. He certainly wasn't a slouch, but he wasn't a, a you know, the, the, the standout ones. I always used to go and watch. So when I went to the field with my dad, I used to go and watch some of the games uh, on the football field. And of course, his friends were all referees, and that's how I got to know uh, the household names. So I used to go and I used to look at the fiction and ask my dad, so where's Trevor referring today? And this is a reference to Trevor Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, um, and he would say, no, he's on this field. And I would go and watch that, and my dad would go and referee his game. And I was watching Trevor Christian referee, because I was interested in how he refereed. And I think, uh, and then I used to also go with my friends. I used to be on the football field from 8.30 in the morning right up to about 5.30 in the evening. Um, and just to hang out with my friends who were play fo- playing football, and then we watched the senior team in the afternoon. Um, and I then, um, you know, one day the referee didn't pitch in a game where my, my friends were playing, and I said, don't you want to just be the ref for the day? 
Now you know you are either you're either going to be the, the the one who writes out the team sheet, or you're going to be the water boy. And the last thing anybody who plays football wanted to be was the ref. And I thought, oh, you got the lowliest job possible. Um, but I, then I said, and I think I was a bit hard hat then. I think South Africans know the word hard hat. Mm. I was a bit hard hat, and I said, listen, get me a whistle. I will try this. But anybody shout at me, I'm walking off the field, and you can sort out your own game. Um, and I liked refereeing. I actually enjoyed that game, and I decided to, to give it a shot. In all, in all respect to my dad, when he found out I took a keen interest in refereeing, he stopped refereeing, and I asked him, but he gave me all his kits. He just walked into my room one day and gave me all his kits and his whistle. And I said, what are you doing? He said, no, I'm stopping refereeing today. Yeah. I said, why? He said to me, because there cannot be two diamonds in the refereeing field. <laughs> I want people, I want you to find your own feet. I don't want people to to um, to make the connection between you and I and give you favors because you are my son. And by that time, my dad was the, the secretary of the Western Province Football Board. Um, so very well known. Um, and because I wasn't playing football, I wasn't well known. And this was my moment to get in. And my dad stood back and just watched from the, and the only, the, the one, the only thing I remember him in terms of football mm. that he told me, he said, uh, refereeing, he said to me, you look the part and you blow your whistle as loud as you can when there's a foul and then, you, and then people will begin to respect you. And always, always be honest. If you make a mistake, own up to it. If you, if you know that you've got it wrong, say that you've got it wrong. Greg Itafair will tell you in a game the Morocco Swallows played, I sent him off. Mm. I looked at the TV when I got home and he protested, eh? Mm-hmm. And I was obviously not taking anything. I was just being my heart to heart <laughs> self. Um, and I looked at the TV that night when I got home, and I realized this ball came off his head. Mm-hmm. I, I, wrote, um, I immediately wrote to Safa and said that I'd heard, and I was prepared to take whatever punishment they had given me. And I think that's the philosophy that I've taken. And, I, and I, you know, I watched, <laughs> ironically, I watched some of the matches that I refereed now during lockdown. Mm. Many of the matches were on TV, and I saw some decisions given and some penalties not given. And I thought, oh my word, <laughs> what were you thinking, referee? What a horrible decision. One guy actually took a dig at me at, at, on, on Twitter and, mm-hmm. and said, um, you know, ask the Twitter refs to, to decide. And others were insinuating about match fixing and all that I'm not interested in. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, no, the referee got it wrong on the day. He was horrible. <laughs> you know, and it was me. So uh, that's, that's, that's just, I think, uh, uh, what my parents, what my family had taught me, and the values that I've learned just in teaching at Bridgetown High, uh, growing up amongst my family and my friends. Um, yeah, you know, and my, and, my, and my belief system, my belief in God. And so that's why I always believe integrity first, integrity always. I think that answers the question of Umbazo on Twitter who wanted to know, is there any game Mr. Damon blundered in whilst officiating? So I think he's just answered that. But Sorry, now... <laughs> what was the question? No, he wanted to know, is there any game that you would say you blundered in when you were officiating? So One. There were many, my friends. <laughs> there were many. Um, but I think there were many more where I got yeah. things right. So we focus on the positives. No, for sure. And talking about that, a lot of people always want to know, how does one start becoming a referee? Which steps then did you have to take after that first game? Which courses did you have to do? And, and did yeah. you always then have an ambition of going all the way to the top after that first game? 
I think my, not I think, I know that my ambition to go to the top was also linked to my faith. I remember sitting in a youth group meeting one night and somebody stood up front and said, dare to be great or you never will be. And now I I don't claim to have been great. Uh, I just thought, what is it that I can be really good at um, that, you know, that, that can take me, you know, to another level? And I did an introspection and I realized I was an average school learner. So I wasn't going to make it big as a school learner. Um, yes, I was I was okay in terms of my relationships and my relationship building, but you know, relationships, relationships can fall apart. Um, and then I um, thought, okay, but this, this football thing. So I went home and I was very excited. Um, I said, one day I want to referee in the World Cup. Mm. My mother looked at me and she said, you know, she had that look in her face and thought, you know that mothers will always support you no matter yeah. what you say. <laughs> yeah. But I but I could see in the back of her eyes she thought, This child's gone mad. I went to my father who I thought would be overjoyed. He looked up from his newspaper, he said, Okay and he carried on reading. And I thought, the best news I could have given you and all you got to say is okay. But I thought, okay, and then I, I thought, Okay, let's take this seriously. I refereed for a while. Um, and then I realized, okay, it's not just about refereeing. It's about educating yourself on the laws of the game. So you have to do um, exams and you go up to level seven before you are eligible to referee in the highest league in South Africa. And then um, also you need to be fit. Uh, referees mm. need to be fit because mm. you have to be up with play. Uh, we did the stat at the latest uh, Af- AFCON, uh, uh, referee like uh, Victor Gomes covered 15 kilometers in one match that he refereed oh. in AFCON last year. So you do quite a bit of running. Um, I'm happy that to say that I don't have to do that running anymore. Um, so we leave it to the more fitter referees. So this is what they do on average, between 10 to 12 in South Africa at the moment, between 10 to 12 kilometers a game. So you have to be reasonably fit. And also, I think, you also the one thing that I always tell people when they ask, so what do I need to do to become a referee? Hmm. You, need to, you need to maintain your integrity. You need to understand that you're not always going to get it right. And as far as you can, just close your ears to media because there's always going to be somebody who's going to want to break you down and you're not going to always get it right. So they don't mean it. It's their job. Uh, So don't take things too personally. Now, with you being a teacher and with you being a referee then, how did you find the balance? And was this the only way? Did you have to do both jobs to earn a living or were you just following your passions? Um, how did I find the, the balance? Mm. I have to commend, and I have, again, that's why I say they're my family. I go back to the principal and the staff of Bridgetown High School, just across the road from my mom's house. Um, I had very supportive principals. Um, Craig George was one when I started, then Mark Wolfka took over, and now Mr. Andrew Van Fuchel. They just allowed me, and the, and the staff just allowed me with grace to go and pursue my passion. But of course, the checks and balances had to be there. I had to ensure that all my lessons were planned, and I made sure that somebody was in my classroom to teach. And I, and and yeah, I, I think of all the all the the, the 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 students who, when they had time out, to come and sit in my class and to come and teach my classes. Because the lessons were prepared, and then do the worksheets. Some of them got to got some marking experience. And I just went over over the scripts again, so they got some experience as well, and I showed them where they went right or went wrong in the marking. But it was a collaborative effort, because mm. my, my wife had to agree that I could travel as well as, as, as you know, um, as often as I did, as I could, 
as I did, sorry, um, and of course the school had to give permission. And, and I always said that if the school said no, I can't do a game. And there were times that I turned down matches in the PSL because it was just at the wrong time of the year. You know, um, but the, but the school and its community and the community of Bridgetown have really been been gracious in allowing me all the opportunities that they have. And which su- which subjects out of interest were you teaching, Mr. Damon? Uh, I did English and a, and a subject called life orientation. And it's a bit of uh, life orientation for those who don't know. It's a bit of uh, it's, it's from the old from if you put school guidance and phys ed and all of that together. So so it fitted quite well. Yeah. Uh, the children hated coming to my life orientation classes to, at some point when I did phys ed because of course they they always pipe up. That's not soccer training, sir. Why do we have to do this? <laughs> because you need to be fit. There's no excuse for not being fit. So, I taught life orientation in English. <laughs> For those who just joined us, we're catching up with Mr. Jerome Damon, former PSL referee of the year, of course, a World Cup referee, a man of many achievements. And we've actually got a voice note here uh, from uh, somebody. Let's see if he's going to recognize this voice. Let's go. I hope he doesn't say his name. Oh, he said. Mm, let's go. Hi, Jerome. Uh, this is Ace Oh! Ace. You know, I, I have very few words to say except to perhaps take you back to the first few games that we did together and how miraculously we were able to click both at a professional and at a personal level. I I must say that, my brother, you have outdone yourself. You have achieved things that most of us who have been part of the reference fraternity can only dream of. What's surprising is the fact that you were up against the likes of Ace Nobo who have played football, who have owned clubs, who have coached, who have been administrators, and you have never played football. You have never been an administrator. You have never coached, you've never owned a team. And it's always extra difficult for anybody who doesn't have the tactical and the technical know-how of the game itself to be a referee, let alone to be a good referee. Thank you for that, Mr. Ace Ngobo, and thank you for letting us use Spot On there for the name of our show, Mr. Spot On. Mr. Damon, how do you feel about that message from a colleague, of course, a former colleague of yours? No, he's not a colleague, he's a brother. Mm. Uh, This is the beauty of football. Mm. This is the beauty of refereeing. We're a very tight-knit group. We disagree with one another regularly, but um, but we're a very tight-knit group, and I'm... I'm gobsmacked. Eh? You got me. Not many people can can get me to sit down and be quiet for a long time, and uh, this really this really hit me in the gut um, because uh, it's a genuine it's a genuine person. And you know, Ace and I go back a long, long way. We've had our rivalries on the field. Mm. We've had our differences off the field, but we've always maintained our our integrity and our love for the game um, and our respect and our deep ad- admiration and respect for one another. So thank you very much, my brother. Ace. Thanks for that voice note, Mr. Ace. But he says you've achieved a lot of things in the game. What would you say maybe have been your career highlights, sir? There have been many highlights. And, uh, and again, it's the 
difficult to, to, to say specific highlights because I can go through the whole tree in terms of when it first started. Um, but it, it all started with in South Africa when I got to referee um, Kaiser Chiefs Orlando Pirates mm. in 2003. Uh, immediately after the game, South African Football Association was called to ask about this referee that they saw running around with a white badge. And that time, the white badge signified a FIFA referee. I was called mm. to the under-17 CAF tournament in Swaziland. Um, I, I think I refereed one of the toughest matches of the tournament. Um, and again, my sidekick, Inak Mnifi, was there. Uh, it was uh, Cameroon versus um, Nigeria. In that match was... Uh, Alexandre Song, um, hmm. John uh, John Michael Obi, all of them. That was that that was that crew that played against one another in that game. Amazingly, no red card, no yellow card in that game. Uh, there was we were then sent from there. We were sent Inak Mulefe, Sipiwe Jibaliza, and myself. We were sent to the under twenty uh, to the to the um, FIFA World Tournament in Finland, and that was my first international tournament. So those, that's the highlight, you know, that's the first highlight for me, being in the first international tournament. Um, and then, as... as oh, hello? Oh, apologies hello. for that. Yeah, uh, apologies for that. We seem to have lost uh, Mr. Jerome Demon there. We're going to try and get him back on the line for those who've just joined us on this Flashback Friday. We're just catching up with the former referee uh, just to trace back his gen. I don't even think we'll get to the World Cup matches. We might have to bring him on again just to talk about the World Cup matches. But I think he's given us a lot of information uh, that we were not aware of. I mean, I didn't know that his old man used to ref also, Mr. Jerome Demon. Sorry about that, Mr. Demon. We've got you back on the line. You were still just telling us about your highlights. Yes, yes. Um you see technology you have to you have to understand <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um i think then um after that we so the other highlight that that also stands in my mind out in my in my mind is being able to represent south africa um and caf at the um at the olympics in beijing yeah oh. I, I was very, I was very privileged in the, the, the day after um, Usain Bolt broke the world record for the first time. It was also the the, the men's um, gold medal match, and they allowed all the officials onto the onto the track for a walk around. And I stood in the in the lane where Usain Bolt, um, you know, got mm. to break the world record. Not that that meant anything, but for me, this was a moment. Um, and also being able to, to, to see the different wonders of the world that I, I would never have been able to experience if it wasn't for football. Sure. I would never been able to afford to, to see the, the stuff, the, the places that I've seen and the people that I've met if it wasn't for football. Um, another career highlight um, was the 2009 um, playoff um, match, not playoff match, World Cup qualifier match, Egypt versus Algeria. And there was a lot of history that went into that game. Um, because it was the, the history of North Africa is that those two nations in football they don't like one another. They literally mm. detest one another so much so that in the build-up to this game in Cairo in November in 2009, the, the two websites had to be closed down because of the abusive comments that were thrown to one another um, on, on their Facebook pages. Mm. So that was shut down. Um, when the uh, Algerian team arrived in in Egypt, they they coach the bus that they travelled in from the airport to the hotel was thrown with uh, stones were thrown at it. Players were injured. There was a prospect of it being called off. FIFA then intervened and said, "No, this game has to be played." 
Um, so there was a lot of tension going into the game, and the kickoff was at um, 20, 20 hundred hours. By one o'clock, when when we went down for for lunch, and so the the refereeing team that got appointed was uh, Abdul Ibrahim, was fourth official, Toko Malebo, AR two, Inakulifa, AR one, I was referee. When we went down for lunch, we got a report from our liaison that said, um, and this was at one, two o'clock mm. when we because we had a late lunch. Yeah, we're two, two, three o'clock more. Um, they had reports that the Cairo International Stadium had been closed oh. um, because it was full. 95,000 spectators had already been in the stadium. At 1 p.m.? At 1 p.m. for a kickoff at 8 p.m. Hold that thought because I want to take this call. It's very important. It's an international call. And on the line, we're joined by Dr. Errol Sweeney. Ah. Dr. Sweeney, good evening. Good evening. It's so good to hear from you, sir. We've got Mr. Jerome Damon on the line here. What can you tell us about uh, Mr. Damon? Um, what can I not tell you? Maybe <laughs> I should uh, keep my uh, keep my silence. <laughs> now, um, look, anything, I've been listening now to quite a bit about what he has done and all he has achieved, and uh, it really couldn't happen to a nicer person. Um, I picked him up in at a at a at a an under seventeen tournament I think in Vitz. I can't remember the year it's so long ago. Ninety six. Uh, but uh, it was then that I gave him a nickname. I said this was a snotty nosed kid from Cape Town. You remember that, Jerome? <laughs> oh yes. I was about to say the snotty nosed kid from Cape Town. And um, but um, I, I mean you know. I I saw in him right away enormous potential. Now, there are others who didn't share my view, and um, I recommended him for the final of that tournament. And again, there were others who didn't necessarily um, agree with me. But you can see from what he has done since that my decision was correct. Um, He's done enormous things. Uh, both for himself personally and, of course, for his country, South Africa, uh, which I am also a citizen, by the way. I've got dual citizenship, Irish and South African. And, and I mean, anything he has achieved, to me, is not a surprise. Uh, others have obviously seen in him what I saw in him also. Um, his dedication, his hard work, his commitment to refereeing has been superb. I mean, he's a role model for anybody wishing or wanting to get to the top of refereeing. And I'm asked all the time, you know, what does it take? I want to be a top referee. Well, I said, well, do you know Jerome Damon in South Africa? And you are South African. Go look at see what he did and follow him. And, And Mr. Damon, how do you describe the role Mr. Sweeney played in your career then? That's my mentor. That's my that's my mentor. That 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 found me, like you said, uh, that gave me an opportunity, um, and many others in South Africa, um, and and took a risk when others were were not going to take a risk, um, and put me on the on the road. And he would and he would set us straight. And I talk about us. There were a group of us mm. um, that him uh, uh, with his with his team. They would set us straight if we stepped out of line and we thought that we got too big for our shoes too fast. They would cut us down to size and you just be quiet and say, your elders have spoken, so be quiet and listen. Um, and so he's always been in the background, um, giving advice, mentoring us uh, right all the way through to uh, World Cup 2010. So he's one of our, he was one of our mentors in shaping us into the people that we have become.
And a lot of people are saying on Twitter that Jerome Demond is so strict. Demond is so strict. Used to remind me of Dr. Errol hanging Judge Sweeney, not knowing that he was about to come on that show. <laughs> and um, Matimu Wagashi Gomez says, Mr. Jerome Demond has a great sense of humor. You can tell by his story telling abilities that he was a teacher and because of that i think that we will not do justice to this interview there's so much more to talk about uh, we want to talk about the games that you covered in the world cup we want to talk about how you were never implicated in any of these scandals operation dribble nothing there of mr jerome demon his hands were clean there and i want to find out about some of the chips that you've had on the field from the fans from the players but we're gonna have to leave it here for now because of time mr demon but we're agreeing with the producers that we're gonna make time we'll bring you back again um, next week and we just want to end with this voice note where is it good evening member and mr demon uh, quickly this is Cabello from pretoria mr demon first of all thank you very much for being honest in the field and being so firm with your decisions that you used to take in the field sometimes we are unhappy with them sometimes we are happy because we are winning as a as a winning team but uh, what i want to say to you and to other reveries is we we we, we as fans we like to apologize for what we used to throw at you guys uh, because some okay thanks for that uh, uh mr demon can we please have you again next week tuesday uh, if you are available between seven and eight just to talk more about your great career sir um it would be my pleasure to, to to speak and share some some views again uh, if i may if i yes. may just do do one thing yes sir. um i have to just i was listening to your interview earlier about, um with george Mahotzi, yes, sir. and i want to say but george south african football is really indebted to you and what you have done and i believe that you will still do for south african football my brother uh south african football still needs you there is a place for you i am very sure Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mr. Demon. We'll speak to you on Tuesday again. And Dane Clayton has also sent a similar message. He says, I don't want to read anything more about this sale. It's too much. It is too sad. My thoughts are with everyone at the club who's become family.